Gospel according to John. Given the length of this reading, we invite you to be seated. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to Jesus, Rabbi, the Judeans are just now trying to stone you, and you are going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world, but those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had not been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Judeans had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him while Mary stayed home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Judeans who were there with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Judeans who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Judeans said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Please stand. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to Jesus, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Judeans, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Do you have a favorite color? I do. It's purple. Ever since I was a little girl picking flowers from my neighbor's flower bed, with her permission, of course, The purple ones were always my favorite. I like all shades of purple, lavender, violet, amethyst, and usually you can see me wearing purple in some way, on my nails, my earrings, or my clothes. So you can imagine, maybe, just how much I love the season of Lent. (laughs) For the past five weeks, Grace Place and Holy Trinity have been discussing the colors of Lent through a series centered on the art of Henry Matisse. Now, I'll admit that I was skeptical at first. I am not an art person, and I only go to the art museum, somewhat reluctantly, on my beloved's birthday. And I wondered how the art of Henry Matisse and the scriptures of Lent could be connected. And I really wondered if this non-art person could lead such a discussion. Well, to my surprise and delight, it has been a wonderful opportunity to gather with others over a simple meal and a shared art experience. Together, we discover new insights into scriptures looking specifically at what emotions are stirred by specific colors. Well, this week's color is, you guessed it, purple. The purple of crocuses, of grapes, of penitence, of twilight of sorrow and loss. The Bible study leader this Wednesday will ask, where are the shades of purple in your life these days? For me, the shades of purple are deeply felt in the experience of loss and grief. I've been acutely aware during this time that three years past the onset of COVID and the shutdown of public life, that I am experiencing a lot of grief. Why now, I've been asking myself all week. It's been three years, after all. We're not in lockdown anymore, and life is just pretty much back to normal. The kids are going to school again. Stores and movie theaters and even churches are open again. 
the numbers of COVID deaths and hospitalizations continue to decline, and yet I am grieving. Though much of our common life is back to normal, it's also not like it used to be, and that is loss. I miss seeing the church overflowing with people during worship. I miss the sounds of children fidgeting in the pews and the robust singing and energy that is felt when people are gathered together in community. And I miss the busyness of Sunday mornings. Now, no one is to blame, and I'm not pointing any fingers, but I have this week realized that there is grief whenever there is change. Grief due to loss. Grief that is due to unmet expectations. In the Gospel story today, Mary and Martha are in the deep wilderness of grief. Just the other day, their brother was alive and well, and now he's gone. They're heartbroken and lonely, and when Jesus finally arrives, both Martha and Mary confront Jesus with a version of that ancient question, where is God in times of suffering and death? Now, their words are a little different. They say, Lord, if you had been here, Lord, if you had been here, cuts to the heart of their grief and wondering where God is in the midst of sorrow and loss. Now, we have likely asked similar questions in the midst of our own grief and loss. Why didn't the fertility treatments work? What will happen now that I've lost my job? How could this happen to me? I don't deserve this health diagnosis. Why did my loved one die? Where is God in all the midst of this suffering? I share the same feelings as Debbie Thomas, who wrote, There is a lot that I don't understand about this scripture passage. It's a hard one for me. I don't understand why Jesus waits for two days after hearing of Lazarus' illness, or why he tells his disciples that Lazarus is asleep when he's really dead, or why he raises one man and leaves countless others in their graves. This story is shrouded in mystery, but one thing I do understand, she says, I understand Jesus wept. Thank God Jesus wept, she says. Jesus grieved. The one who is divine and human knows our suffering and questioning in the most profound way. He stands at the grave of his friend and cries. When Jesus weeps, he legitimizes human grief. When Jesus cries, he assures Mary and Martha not only that their beloved brother is worth crying for, but that they are worth crying with. With his tears, Jesus calls all of us into the holy vocation of empathy, co-suffering, and lamentation. You see, Jesus doesn't remain at a distance, unmoved but draws near to all those weeping at the death of Lazarus. And in the presence of that overwhelming grief, Jesus is deeply moved and weeps alongside all those who mourn. Brene Brown, in her book, Atlas of the Heart, writes about emotions and how they are the language of our human experience. 
Now, she doesn't say that grief is purple, but she does explore the different ways we experience grief. For too long, we have thought about grief that is experienced in stages, that you experience one stage and then move on to the next stage until finally you're through with it and done. But those of us who have experienced grief know that it's so much more about ebbing and flowing. It shocks us and shows up in surprising ways. And we also know that grief is not always related to death, but it is experienced in a variety of circumstances. In the midst of our own grief, no matter how it's manifested, what we need is an opportunity to express our grief, sometimes through weeping, sometimes through anger, sometimes in questioning why. Dr. Brown writes in her book, I'll never forget what David Kessler, a grief expert, said during my podcast, Unlocking Us. He said, each person's grief is as unique as their fingerprint. But what everyone has in common is that no matter how they grieve, they share a need for their grief to be witnessed. That doesn't mean needing someone to try to lessen it or reframe it for them, but the need is for someone to be fully present to the magnitude of their loss without trying to point out the silver lining. Jesus is at the heart of suffering with tears on his own cheeks. Sometimes there's nothing to be said in the face of loss. Sometimes tears are our best and most honorable language. We often rush to words, feeling an urgent need to wrap other people's pain in platitudes and Bible verses and condolences and promises. Yet through Jesus' wordless tears, he shows that silence is a faithful too. Jesus shows up in all our graves of fear and grief, shame and regret, calling us to an abundant, unbound life. The grave is not our home. Dry bones and withered spirits are not our future. God will bring back to life all that is dead and buried, forgotten and festering within us. Old wounds, hardened hearts, stubborn addictions, fierce fears. God is always and everywhere making us more fully and abundantly alive. Alive to love. Alive to hope. Alive to each other and alive to creation. During these final last weeks of Lent, as we prepare for Jesus' own death and resurrection, I hope that Jesus' tears can keep us tender, open, humble, and generous. I hope that his honest expression of sorrow will give us permission to not only do the work of grief and healing, but to move with powerful compassion into a world that needs our empathy and love. We serve a God who calls us to live an abundant, unbound life. Our journey is not to the grave, but through it. And the Lord who weeps is also the one who resurrects. So we grieve in hope, opening ourselves up to all the colors of a resurrected life. Amen.